IGN News Bulletin. We have just received word that Blue Point Aquatics has just been restocked with some of the most sought-after shrimp to celebrate the new year. Like the highly-awaited Galaxy Bone Shrimp. Offer yours today at BlueCountAquatics.com. Free shipping with promo code AquariumGuys at checkout. And that's a value of $45, Daddy-O. Don't be left with your friends making fun of your small shrimp. Or to now. Also, don't forget about our friends at the Ohio Fish Rescue. Go to OhioFishRescue.com to support them and also dial on your home telephone device at 216-773-0407 and tell them you think he's groovy. We now take you back to your regular scheduled programming. Thank you. Hey friends, just letting you know that this podcast was pre-recorded. We went to Sean Kramer's own home, did this on-site and just want to let you know, to look in the show notes, we have a YouTube video to show you the entire 2,000-gallon aquarium and a little bit more information about our stay. Just wanted to remind you before the show kicks off that we still have a sign-up for free plant bulbs from Jim on our website, AquariumGuysPodcast.com. Go to the bottom of the website, sign up. We're going to be drawing here pretty soon, so get your name in the hat before. We're giving away plant bulbs to five individuals, so it's just simply your name, address, phone number, so we can get those out to you. Thanks again and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Aquarium Guys Podcast with your hosts, Jim Colby and Rob Zolson. All right, guys, today we're here in a Brainerd, Minnesota. How close are we from Brainerd? 20 minutes. 20 minutes. We are here in Brainerd, Minnesota with a fish hobbyist, a fish enthusiast, an extreme aquarist, Sean Kramer. How are you doing today, buddy? Very good, sir. So thanks again for having us. We just got to experience uh, your aquarium. And I, I think uh, you know, Jim's still uh, amazed. He, he's not tripping. He's just seeing colors. There's no drugs involved. No mushrooms, just seeing colors and going, holy crap, this stuff doesn't even look real. Right. So I'm your host, Robbie Olson. And I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam Elnishar. You guys won't believe it. He's in the flesh. He drove all the way up here to come visit. We actually get to see him for once. So proud. It was like a six-hour trip. Six hours? I feel like you went the wrong direction. No, I got stuck in the cities because of snow. Yeah, quit stopping at White Castle. I don't eat there. You didn't bring me White Castle? <laughs> I thought we'd do Quiznos. That was the meme, guys. Come on. It. Well, again, thanks for having us. So today, we want to go over the uh, Extreme Aquarist. You have a 2,000-gallon reef tank, and it's it's blowing our minds, frankly. So you invited us here to come see it. It's uh, You've had it now for how long? Five years. Five years. It's it's stunning. It's a true reef tank, which the focus is coral. You see uh, there's, what, 200 damselfish in there? Yeah, there's at least 200. On top of a, a lot of others, but it's just not the focus is, uh, is fish. There's a lot of space and incredible flow. But we want to... I want to learn a little bit more about you first before we get into a lot of questions, because I know uh, Jimmy and Adam are both uh, chomping at the bit for uh, some... They were polite. They held back questions when we went through and checked out the tank, checked out the back room. So uh, we're going to unload on you. So forgive us ahead of time. Wow. Just you, you warned him for once. We did. Wow. We don't normally <laughs> warn our guests. We just kind of shock them and they never come back. That's right. That's what we like about it. What, uh, when did you first start getting in the hobby of fish keeping? Well, growing up on a small dairy farm in uh, Wadena, Minnesota, found myself in a store, wanted to, ran across the, a bunch of aquariums and, and uh, just kind of fell in love with the hobby. Started with a 20-gallon aquarium. Had that through high school, got into college. Myself and a few roommates were also in the um, hobby. So we had five, five aquariums in our, in our home, everything from piranhas to discus fish. Nice. And as I, as I, at one point in time, I think it was early, it's about 
I would say 15 years ago, I moved to, well, more than that now, 20 years ago, moved to Arizona and I got in, I went into a hobby shop that dealt with uh, reef aquariums and corals. And that's the first time I've ever been around stuff like that. It was just kind of like, just hit me and it's become a passion ever since. Your first 20 gallon, trying to rewind back. Cause we yeah. always try to get like, what was your first fish? No one can remember, but what was the first memorable fish that you kept in that 20 gallon? Well, it was the standard stuff that you'd find at a Walmart or a, at that time it was Pomida. I don't know if you guys remember Pomida. I remember Pomida because I'm an old guy. <laughs> yeah. So, but we, I had a angelfish and neon tetras, a plecky. You guys were talking about them earlier. Thought it'd be really cool to have a huge school of, at the time, 20 gallons. So. 10 tetras That's and gradually cool. the tetras disappeared and then i learned that angelfish unlock their jaw and can swallow tetras <laughs> so I, i've gone about everything that you can imagine but that's how it all started for me perfect so when was the moment that you knew saltwater's your your deal when i walked in that store i told you guys before it's just like i i couldn't even believe that stuff like that existed i'd never been really outside of minnesota at the time never been on a reef never did any snorkeling or anything like that so i was really clueless and when i saw that it kind of presented a challenge to me because moving from freshwater to saltwater you know i'm not a chemist by any means but loving the hobby and just like most people you go through a litany of problems so that's how you learn and and just uh it's kind of how i fell in love with that and that was 20 years ago so since then like you saw the saltwater aquariums you knew you had to get into it how did you get started first thing i did is i set up at a 100 gallon aquarium and i needed to find somebody to help me with it so i asked asked around and found somebody to help me with the maintenance and i was definitely from that point on find corals that i liked and and i I didn't really realize the rarity of some certain corals or really how big that was i'd never been to a trade show or anything like that so it was really what was being presented to me in arizona that we would have in the shop. So that's kind of how I, I got started. Started adding, you know, like most people in the hobby, if you've ever been in reef aquarium, I thought it was the lighting. So first thing I did is I got a really nice light, turned it all the way up, and then there comes all the allergy problems. <laughs> so anyways, that's uh, kind of how I got, got going in it. So since then, now we're uh, talking about uh, uh, today, you have a custom-built 2,000-gallon aquarium, and how many feet is that? Well, it's a little over 20 feet long. Perfect. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a couple pictures and YouTube clips. So you guys get a, a feel of the tank, you get to see what's inside of it, and uh, even a snap a couple pictures of the back room. It is uh, really impressive to see. You wanted to set up a big reef aquarium. Let's talk about the logistics. So again, 2,000 gallons, you know, like what are the things that you do for water changes? How often do you water change and how much? Well, we do weekly water changes. We like to, to be close to a 200 gallon water change every week. I don't know. I Everything is just kind of bigger. It's not necessarily different equipment. It's just bigger equipment and more of certain things to make that work. So we went in the back and we got to see the, like just for instance, the skimmer. The skimmer that you're used to are just, you know, small uh in tank skimmers, this thing looks like uh, I don't know what would you put it a one of those Culligan uh, five gallon containers just for the top alone. It looked like a half a gallon or it looked like a forty gallon water heater. Basically, yeah, is what it looks like. <laughs> I didn't even know they made them that big for private people. Like that's it may be for a zoo. You don't know. That's what I would assume is it's like a zoo. It's a zoo quality protein skimmer. So a lot of things that impress us. So uh, what what I like to do is just like you know v- virtually walk through the back room w- with the audience. So you walk into the back room, and the first thing you see to your left is all of your what I like to call you know vitamins or chemicals, your supplements for for the water. Uh, can you explain that a bit to us, especially for new users that have never had automated supplements? Yeah, and you know unlike freshwater, um, there's a you know there's a litany of trace elements in order to grow coral. I find that by sending off test 
off. I, I do a send almost weekly test to Germany to be tested by a company called Triton. They let me know exactly where my trace elements are and kind of the amount to dose. And based on a mixed reef, because I have everything from Acropora to various different LPS corals and and mushrooms. You mentioned mushrooms earlier. Can't eat them. But um, <laughs> no, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. Why is everybody staring at me? I don't understand this. At well, all. you mentioned mushrooms earlier. So yeah, we probably, I, um, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, so I'm not. So what it does is is certain things get drawn down, like iodine or manganese or zinc or boron, bromine, those sort of things. So I I've, I've set them all up on on auto dosing, and we kind of keep dialing in the amount of milliliters per day or per 24 hours to kind of keep those trace elements up. Most, for the most part, when you do weekly water changes, you are kind of replacing your trace elements. But again, because of the draw and the sheer amount of corals in the system, you have to keep on top of some of that. You mentioned that you send in tests to Germany, a company called Triton. Well, why Germany? You know, why not some other, you know, in internal testing i'm assuming they do a better job but is there other companies that can do it or you just well, there is. love these guys well there is it, it, it's just how they test they call it an icp and i'm not exactly sure what that stands for but it's it's really expensive equipment to, to pull that off actually doing a test we we ran with several different companies tested the same water at the same time and got back a variety of different results none of them were even close to each other so for me triton was one that they are Triton was was built by Aquarius to hobbyist, and Germany is a, a place where a lot of the technology that we use today comes from, and so that just seemed like a logical choice. And I think it's a matter of just picking one. I could have picked a local one and kind of stuck with them, but one thing about Triton is they allow me to give me give me the amount of a certain trace element that I need to dose to bring it up to the to the right amount. So it's not just results; you're you're getting recommendations yes, on top of it. Exactly. Gotcha. And how do you send? Do you send that just as a water sample, or how do you do that? Yeah, you, they have two vials. You, you uh, fill them up with aquarium water and ship them off. And how long does that take to get there? Well, usually that test is back within a couple of weeks. Okay. And that's why I like to keep up with it because it changes so much that, you know, two weeks is two weeks. <laughs> so I have to do it fairly often. A lot can happen there in yeah. the aquarium. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that has to, you have to do that in order to be successful with Reef Aquarius because for me, I just go overboard with everything, it seems. so. Yeah, you're pretty extreme, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, little bit out of uh, everybody else's league, I'm, I'm happy to say. Yeah. So question is, have you ever decided just to, just to see, if, keep them on their toes and just like give them a urine sample instead when you send them the mail? <laughs> that would be excellent. That's a great idea. Hey, you should do that. <laughs> I will give you one before I leave today. Yeah. <laughs> really low in iron. I don't yeah, know what's going on. Yeah, a bad on. problem here. Potassium high. No. Yeah, let me know if I got diabetes or something, would you? Something. Yeah. Your sugars are really... <laughs> out of this world so just to try to explain how the the dosing works you have a machine it's a brand of apex is that correct correct so it looks like i don't know how to explain this mad scientist think of you having small you know air pumps with uh, two slots in the front and each air pump has a label on it magnesium calcium whatever supplement you're trying to do and there's like airlines connected to these and it simply just draws more mixture whatever Mm -hmm. you need to trickle into the tank on an automatic basis so if it sees it low it alerts you and just simply boost some calcium in the water. Yeah, I just to just to back up, I mean to do a system like this, you know, even 10 years ago, 15 years ago would be really difficult. The the advancement in aquarium automation and tools that you can use because of the advent of the internet and applications on your iPhone and things that allow that. Part of that is just kind of understanding the program and understanding how to set them in, but it's all it's all part of my cell phone. I can be anywhere in the world and adjust dosing and look at pH, look at temperature, you know, look at different different mechanisms. I have flow meters on, so I know how much flow is going through th- through certain things. And so you've been traveling like in Florida, and your phone alerts you that something crapped out in your tank. Yeah, there's all kinds of alarms for sure. So what's like the worst alarm that you've ever been scared with? Oh boy, um, sump is low. 
Sump is low. It might be leaking <laughs> to the floor. Yeah, I've had, you know, there's been some, you know, like sometimes I'll go in there and I want to top it off, so I'll turn it on, then get distracted, go back in. Oh, my God, I got water everywhere. And, and uh, then I'll call Ty, my friend that helps me, and he, <laughs> we're both panicking and trying to tell me what to do. But So we have Ty in the studio as well, just in case we, uh, you know, have some technical questions we, we can't grab. But we're going to get uh, Ty. He is a custom tank builder. We'll get him on another podcast here in the future and get some of his uh, his expertise as well. But yeah, that the back room. So we went through the supplements, and then we keep going, and you have a nursery bed. Mm-hmm. So that you made out of acrylic, and again, it's just, I don't know, how many inches is that? Four inches tall? Um, no, it's probably, I think we're at eight inches in there. And, and and really, that was used early on for, you know, as corals come in to make sure there's not pests. So we, we did it as kind of acclimating the corals. Really, we haven't added any new corals to the system for quite some time. And so right now, it's used as a, we call it a frag tank, but it's more or less a, if there's a sick coral or it's in a bad area where it wasn't getting the proper flow, seems to be struggling a little bit, we can move it back there, target feed it, try to get back to health. Some stuff, I've got big hands, so sometimes you reach in the tank and you break a branch off and, okay, i got to glue it on something, get it back, get it in the back room, and it's kind of... Oops. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. What, uh, after you got this tank done, and we got to, don't worry, we do have to cover building the tank, because I think that's a story of itself. Yeah. So after you got the tank done, you wanted to get uh, corals. How does one go out and pick a bunch of corals for a 2,000-gallon tank? I'm assuming you go to shows? Yeah, that was another thing that was a huge eye-opener for me. My first show was only like three years ago. So when I built this, we, we had this tank, this 2000 gallon system. I had no idea that in the hobby, that was extremely huge. All my life, I, I well, I've, I've been blessed enough to be able to have something like this. All I knew is when I sold my company one day, I'm going to have a, you know, big ass reef aquarium was in my mind. And so basically we measured out here and I go, yes, it's still over 20 feet. So here's what we'll do with it. And we never really thought through, you know, how hard it would be to control flow on the tank and stuff like that. And so really going back to building it and having it set up and the, the thought process going through it is just a whole nother a lot of things go into it, of course, and, and most of it isn't from me. I've learned that to be successful in things, you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, and that's what I've done. Perfect. So oh, you mentioned coral. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got deviated off the, the track. So coral, um, three years ago, I went to a trade show. First trade show I went to was a MACNA. It's a worldwide trade show, but it was in um, uh, New Orleans. And uh, you want to talk about an eye-opener. I had so much fun walking around because of being, being in the hobby as long as I was and walking through there was everything from fresh to salt water. And so I, there was something for everybody there, which was pretty cool. So I started, I, I met a lot of people along the way. If you're ever going to get in the reef hobby or you're in it, you know how important it is to have a trusted source that you get coral from just because pests can wipe out an aquarium pretty quick. You might not even realize you have them until it's too late. So I think it's really important to have that. I do get a lot from Florida. seems to be a hotbed of stores and those that bring in coral wholesale, things like that. Hard to fill up a 2,000-gallon tank, but as you can see, I've done it somehow. But <laughs> It just magically appeared in five yeah, years. It magically yeah. appeared. Yeah. A lot of work. Magic. How many different varieties of coral do you have in there? Oh, man, it's... Uh, Varieties of corals, it really hard. Obviously, you break them into a couple different categories. I have SPS, or small polyp stony corals, LPS, large polyp stony corals, and then mushrooms. Um, it's pretty much the variety that I have in there. Variety-wise, I guess if you go through and name it, um, that's the one thing when you're in the hobby, um, everything has a name, especially the Acropora. I was showing you the home wrecker and things like that, some of those. Variety of corals, I think there's probably... Again, not breaking them into families, but there's got to be 700 different kinds of corals in there in terms of different ones, I guess. That's a, that's a hell of a collection. And you only did that, and you said you started two years ago to shows and order it. So essentially well, three years' time, you have over 700 different types of coral. Yeah, it was really, and I have to hand this to Ty, because when we first set the tank up, we ran the lights at 7% just on blue 
for about eight to nine months. And the purpose of that was is not to have any allergy outbreaks. I think the first thing, like I said, people do is they throw the lights in the tank, crank them up. They have their sand bed and producing. they have all kinds of issues. So we started out that way and we added corals to the system that were very easy to care for. A lot of LPS that were very hardy corals that people like. And that's kind of what we, how we started and eventually work your way into stuff that's more complicated. And that's what we've done. I had corals in their course, you know, prior to the show that I went to, but. So to go into the lighting a bit, you have a very unique lighting system. So a lot of the tanks you see, freshwater tanks, they'll just have the, you know, easy hoods. Sometimes they're just, you know, the old screw-in bulb. A lot of the LEDs have been uh, working, but we don't really have to worry about a whole lot of spectrum of lights. We do like the label full spectrum for a lot of these heavy planted tanks, but we don't have to worry about, you know, blue shading or making sure we're, you know, taking care of 18 different varieties of, mm -hmm. uh, of coral. Again, you have a bunch in there, so you have this unique lighting system. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, I think lighting obviously is, is very important. I think this, having a good spread of lighting is important. If you think about how the ocean is, if you've ever been snorkeling or anything like that, it's it's basically blue, and most of that comes from the sky. Somebody told me the other day that if you were to just make the sky black and have the sun, you'd have a lot of shading, right? So blue is really a key, key component. So having that nice even spread over the tank, there's 24 Orphic lights over the tank, and we had a custom mount made to allow us to angle those lights if we need to. If something needs to be needs more light than others, you can, you can get the right lighting. And then using a PAR meter, a lot of times when I get a quarrel, I'll ask kind of what kind of lighting they have it in, so it's very similar when it gets here. And so you see the, a lot of the LPS in the bottom of the tank because they can't take the light that the the SPS can. Just to explain to the listeners, especially the listeners that, you know, maybe only you fresh, haven't seen a lot of these lighting systems. These are independent flats that are hanging suspended above the tank, well above the tank. And how you have the tank built is everything is encased in essentially a wood cabinet. So you have doors where you can access the lighting, go above the tank, feed, address what you need to. And they're big enough where you can crawl up and into them. In fact, we were doing that earlier just to look at the coral from a, a higher angle. But these are, again, suspended. You have them adjustable so they can go in any direction. But the amount of coverage you have on this lighting system is incredible. It's There's no spaces. Generally, you have this one strip going down the middle. It's literally as wide as your tank these slats are going as long as well. Correct. So you have an immense amount of lighting. What percent do you run them at now that everything's established? Well, I can generally run the, there's four channels on them, but I can run the blues and violet kind of stuff all the way up if I want. They can take about as much of that as you want to throw at them. The other two channels are really for more, you know, how you want to see the tank. You know, you have to add a little whites in so you pick up the colors on the fish and stuff like that. So it's kind of a, there's a you have to play around with it a lot. And, and the problem with a tank this big is, in, in, is just the changes happen, but they happen very slowly over a long period of time. Time, and sometimes it's too late. The pendulum is swinging the other way. It's have to catch it. So we, we've been uh, very diligent about kind of gradually doing things as opposed to just all at once making changes. So in the back room, you know, how do you, uh, how is the sump built? So you have, how many gallons just alone is the sump? Um, I think we figured about 200 gallons. So explain the filtration process. You know, again, everything that you have is just bigger that you would need for a normal uh, reef tank. But just for beginners, you know, what elements do you have in that sump for, uh, for a reef tank? Well, just to back up, I mean, that the, the sump is actually undersized for the size of the aquarium, and that's because we couldn't get anything bigger in the room. <laughs> so we kind of got the biggest one. <laughs> I mean, you do what um, you can. But I, I think the key to it's the time sump... time to add on. I think the key to the sump is the, you know, the ability to you know, have nutrient export, have redundancy. That's why you see two big pumps in there that bring, you know, for return pumps. So if one does go down, I still have one. And the rock that's in there does provide filtration, of course, but it's also kind of a, a boneyard of 
rock that was in the tank. <laughs> we don't need that one. We'll toss it in the back. I probably saw the mangroves growing in the sump. We do believe in a little bit of nutrient export. I think if you were just to rely on mangroves, we'd have to have a field of them. But we believe that every little thing helps. And we're, we're not really relying on one certain thing to supply the tank. We're, you know, multiple ways of doing it, just so we're not um, dependent on one certain thing. So filtration-wise, we do have a, an algae scrubber that runs 24-7 with lights on, and that's, again, to grow the algae in the back, control phosphates and nitrates with that. And then we, of course, have the filtration socks to catch a lot of that, and as well as particles from the tank to keep it clean. It makes quite quite nice light in the back, like a bright pink. I don't know if you've seen, a, uh, for our listeners, a lot of the saltwater algae uh, scrubbers, but they it, you know, brilliant pink light to try to sterilize. Yeah, the lighting is more, the, the spectrum of lighting is really important to grow algae. It, it grows better under certain spectrums. And if I am not ha- if I don't have that spectrum in the main system, then I'll keep that out of there, hopefully. So just to go over the, the layers. So in, in IT, we call it like the stack, right, of stuff that happens. So you have the chemical, biological, and mechanical, right? So mechanical is the sock. Chemical, you either supplement with the actual supplement's mental system. Do you use any other sterilizers besides what's uh, in the algae scrubber? Yeah, we uh, we run a UV sterilizer. I think that's important, especially for the fish. As far as any other systems, I don't know. Well, that and, you know, mangroves look cool. Yeah, they look cool. I mean, I saw that in there and like, what? Yeah. <laughs> He's growing herbs in the back, guys. Yeah. You guys are quiet. Wow, I'm just so amazed how, how well-behaved you are today. I don't I'm know. so well-behaved. It's early in the day for you. You haven't beaten me with my stick. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to punch you in the throat later, but <laughs> <laughs> guarantee you that. That always happens. All right, you guys got to have some questions. Don't let me just, just dive in this well, guy. I am just freaking mesmerized, to be honest. Uh, this is one of the most beautiful tanks I've ever seen. It's I, the shrooms. I, yeah, no, 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 no <laughs> shrooms today, dude. Some of the questions I, I had on, on this tank, how many days do you spend a week down here just working on this thing? I mean, this thing is immaculate. Yeah, my wife it's thinks not I'm work, down here love. too much, so it's it's probably half a notch off of too much. No, I'm, I'm down here a couple hours a day probably. And for me in my life, it's, it's really, a, I look at it as bubble gum for the mind. It allows me to get away from things and just kind of go into this other world that I have a, have had a passion on since fifth grade. I'm gonna use that later. Thank you. Bubblegum for the mind. So, yeah. does anybody else in your family enjoy this as much as you? Or are you kind of all alone in this this well, crazy world? Of yours? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sort of all alone in this crazy world for sure. You know, my my wife and daughter were you know, God, oh, you spend so much time down there. I'm like, well, I'm 47 years old playing with fish in the basement. And they go, yeah, good point, good point. Dad. You need a mustache <laughs> with that with that <laughs> yeah. comment. You know, yeah. You know, the whole time I, you're talking about going out to the trade shows, and my wife and I have been to several trade shows. I've been to trade shows with with uh, Ty and, and his wife Heidi. And the whole time I'm just assuming that your wife just comes behind you and just keeps smacking the credit card out of your hand. I mean, no, no, no. she she has no idea. She has <laughs> no. And she doesn't come with me to the shows. All right. And so we're going to call this episode Secret Time. Secret, <laughs> secret Time. Secret, secret Time. time. Yeah. yeah. We're, in the, we're in the secret Scooby-Doo room uh, in his lair. It's pretty sweet. So to, get, to describe the setup, you go down to his basement and he's got a bar set up right next to the aquarium, that, a full bar. And then you go around and you have these, I don't know, giant, they're like super-sized railroad ties you have around the edge. And I think that's the, the most uh, unique design. It allows, you know, people go up to the tank. They'll either try to lean on it, press in the glass. Nope. You have the sweet bar, so you can lean on that with bar stools and just simply enjoy the tank. It's such a great idea, and it's not treated. There's no stain on it, so it can sit there and you know get splashed with salt water, not a road. It's genius design, I gotta say. And then outside of it, you have like this nice bar lounge area, so it's really great for entertainment. But we are in his secret room, so he's got this panel. That goes. You said Scooby Doo. Well, 
so when they asked me when they built the, the, the home, I said I wanted a Scooby-Doo room, and they said, what's that? And I said, well, just a room that no one knows that it exists. So basically, it looks like the wall's there, you push it in, and we end up inside of a poker room. It's, it's pretty great. You just like push in the wall, now we're in the <laughs> secret poker room. Yeah, it's got uh, got some great amenities. And it's worked out really well in here, too. From a For Sound quality oh, yeah. is, is fantastic in this room. Yeah, We tried to do it out by the aquarium, but we kept echoing off the off the glass. Go figure. And the last thing that I checked to make sure there's a doorknob to get out. Did you? I didn't check Yeah, that. I, I, I should have. I really should have. I didn't have. want to be like Scooby-Doo and go, oh-oh. Well, part of the, you know, what you were talking about, the railroad ties, it's, you know, like a big reclaimed piece of wood timber around the edges and for me i didn't want tapping and fishy fishy you know tapping and distance from the tank was important but also something that we could stand on to get inside the tank was was part of that too and having it all being kind of in a reclaimed it almost looks like the ocean something you would see on one of the coasts it almost looks like wharf like like yeah a, like a like an old wharf you see down exactly by the ocean. yeah it was a thought yeah that is beautiful so some of the uh, experiences, I'll try to see if I can put both videos up. You take a, a picture of the tank and, of course, the blue lighting. So you put a filter. It's simply a snap-on thing for the camera and allows to be seen with natural color to essentially remove the blue light out of it. And it turned out really, really well. You had a lot of people come in for you know videos and uh, other details. Even, uh, you know, said last week you had uh, people come in. Well, it was earlier this week. This week, mm-hmm. gotcha. So... The big thing that you did, I don't know if this was your plan, is you do a lot of fragging because you have, again, 700 different types of coral. You have a lot, you know, over time you're going to have access. And that's turned into kind of like a, a small side uh, side hustle for you. How's that been? So this is part of the trap and the hobby. And those of you that are listening. Literally um, everyone. <laughs> uh, if you could just imagine being in a hobby, let's say it's baseball cards and you had Mickey Mantle rookie card that every year would give you 10 more Mickey Mantle rookie cards. And I bought, and I was, I collected baseball cards my whole life as well. But I can't, when I buy a frag, I justify it because that one day I'm going to break off a bunch of pieces and get my money back for it. Good in theory, except I don't like cutting quarrels. I, in fact, it's, you know, when the Edward Scissorhands are in there chopping away, I kind of walk away or get out of the house. I can't stand it. But if I didn't do that, things would grow on each other and they kill each other. They sting each other. They kind of like their own space. So yeah, you got uh, a lot of different people coming in and, you know, purchasing corals. And you have a very unique uh, place. Not even a lot of zoos are able to have this size of tank with uh, with reef. So, you know, what are some of your favorite coral? Because we can't just list out 700 different species. We'll be here all day. What are some of your particular favorite ones that you've uh, you've collected over the five-year span? Well, I think it's like most people when they see an aquarium with, with coral or they see the coral for the first time, their favorites tend to be those that wave around in the, in the flow. So they have a lot of movement to them, which you know, is great. You know, I started off with a lot of that stuff, particularly Euphilia. Gonopora is another one, just allow that, that look of flow and things in the tank. But as far as favorite corals, and they told me this when I got started, wait till you get into Aquapora. I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever get into Aquapora, but of course I jumped in with both feet head for... <laughs> so Aquapora, I would say, is is my favorite. I don't know why. More, more naming goes on there, so everything has a name, everything has the lineage, where it came from, and uh, just makes it fun because it, there's value in those corals based on based on that name. So I never knew again that that existed, but think again about the Mickey Mantle rookie card. You get a piece of Jason Fox Homewrecker, break off a little piece, and it's several hundred dollars, of course. I still haven't even come close to getting my money back out of the hobby. You know, I have two goals, right? Keep it all alive, number one, which makes me sick when I see something that that does die. And number two is someday, some way in the future. <laughs> I, I don't know a single Aquarius that that's, gets deep into it without, oh, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to breed these guys. We're going to sell them. We're going to go to a local pet store. I don't know anybody that does it. But at this scale, when do you think you're going to become, quote, unquote, profitable? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's funny when you See, say it you that just way. Did the math. Because my daughter and my wife, we mentioned them earlier, are kind of giving me crap. So it's my goal to pay for her schooling college with Frags. The guys that were here earlier this week, I'm thinking the market value, retail value is around 50 grand of corals they cut out of the tank. Kind of makes me again sick to my stomach because I like watching everything and seeing That's it. That's insane. There, I know. I'm trying to think of how much coral that is because you go to a you know mom and pop shop, they might have just a little bit of salt water in the back, and you're seeing these frags go for 10, 12 20, bucks, 30 bucks, yeah, 40 at most. Yeah. So, what's like the most expensive frag you sold? Well, yesterday, if I were to take the, the top, let's say 20 frags that they cut out of there, the average of those top 20 are over a thousand a piece. Oh, and how big is this frag just to get uh, reference? Because um, we have listeners that never touch salt, uh, salt water in life and fascinated by this. But now we have a lot of listeners who are all buying salt water. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. all right over. Now. It's all well, you to blame. The, the, the frags are anywhere from a half inch to an inch. They're not very big. Wow. That's that, what that's what I said. Wow, and I, and I'm and I and I'm not saying it to have a big head that I buy big expensive corals. It's just that I've been blessed to be able to do those things. And being in the hobby and loving the hobby as much as I do, I don't really. I, I like the collecting part of it. I like having something rare and have it and keep it alive and grow it. And then at some point, you know, trim it and have other people enjoy it too. And there's a lot of friends I have in the hobby that. You know, we do backup frags for each other in case their system goes down. They'll have another one, and so it's kind of a kind of one of those unwritten rules that you kind of do with your friends that you know. Keep there's, little... there's a little competition in it too, isn't there? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've heard some stories from oh, Ty yeah. and and how you guys like to uh, see who can grow corals the fastest. <laughs> well, it is. It's it's a uh, it, it's a ton of fun. I. I've been competitive my whole life. I mean, I get sore playing ping pong. I mean, I... <laughs> so it's just like a no shave November. Like you're just going to see, like give one month who can grow the longest coral. Is that what well, it is? It's funny. I have a group of friends. We did that. Uh, the one sent out the exact size piece to everybody and then did a little contest to see who had the most growth on it. And did you win? Well, I kind of dropped out of the race. Shame on you. Only because I am not very good at taking pictures of stuff and it just kind of, I don't know. I said, we expect more from you next year. I know. Yep. I know. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll document it. We'll put it on our website, aquariumguys.com. We'll have some fun. Publicize it, you know. There's some amazing hobbyists, those that really understand what's going on from the chemistry perspective. And again, thank God I have Ty because he's really helped me kind of keep the thing going um, the way it is. And without that, I wouldn't, wouldn't be sitting here having this podcast uh, with you guys for sure. So going back to, you know, like the, the cost of some of these frags, you know, people think like, oh, great, I made this money. But think of the other uh, other portion of this. There's a reason it's rare. It's not because you know it has the coolest colors. Because it probably is, doesn't really exist in a lot of places. You being able to, you know, acquire these different frags, grow them in your tank, spread them off to other people. That's really protecting the species. Correct. And that's that's what you really have to focus on. Not a lot of people get to do that, and it's so amazing to see that uh, succeed in such a rare environment. We think about the condition that the reefs are in and the fear behind losing the, the reefs around the world. I think the fact that these high-end corals, which are really one in every thousand that are harvested, can actually be spread out throughout people and, and you know, maricultured and, and kept alive, which is I think is pretty cool. So even though the reef, if it does go away someday, at least there's pieces and chunks and all spread out all throughout the world in people's homes or public aquariums and things like that. And Adam, just want to clarify, you're not allowed to use the same excuse for your endlers because they're feeder guppies. Endlers are rare. Those <laughs> ones are rare. If you say so. All right. You enjoy them. Just admit it. I, I, just an update on that. I, I do have like 35 extra that are going around. And now I'm having, because the people listen to the podcast, people are reaching out and contacting me. Dude, you got endlers? Bro, I'll take, I'll take <laughs> some endlers, please. They're like crack. 
So that's they're they're growing now. I just released all the babies in my uh, 125, and they're they're definitely you know a quarter inch a week type uh, type conversation. So how yeah. dare you? I have herpes all across my tank now. <laughs> they just reproduce, and they'll keep going more and more and more. They'll, they'll never they'll leave. take it over. Yeah. Well, getting back on track. The couple things I want to go in the back room I thought was just interesting because you don't really think, again, I'm a fresh a freshwater keeper. I have done a few saltwater. I don't uh, dabble much. So this is, you know, an alien planet. I get to see <laughs> your, your your giant uh, giant station and I just think it's so great in the back room. You have a complete workstation. You have a labyrinth of different types of foods, powders, and supplements. And I'm just like, is that is that a diamond bone saw? <laughs> Correct. Sure enough, you guys got the entire kit, so you can frag out anything in the back room. I just really don't take the logistics of, of doing that. So I'm looking in the back, and you guys have a, a bunch of different uh, tricks to frag some of these. So you can use you know light pliers to bend some off. You have bone cutters, so you can just do a quick snip, or the saw, if so needed. So again, you don't you, you try to stay away from that as much as you can because you hate seeing them uh, snip, trip, and, and, and cut, but... Uh, have you had any like issues fragging? Because again, I'm assuming you guys are fragging on a regular basis. Yeah, um, issue wise, I I don't think it's so much issues as it is just the work. There's a lot of work involved, as I was explaining earlier. Especially with LPS, you're looking to keep an eye or one mouth, if you will, in at least one of the frags. And, and oftentimes, if you if you frag things into let's say ten pieces, you might lose two or three in the process for sure. Hopefully not all of it. And sometimes our fragging is done because we see a coral that is sick, so we'll try to save what we can. And the quicker you can act on that, the better. And that's what's so hard about a big system is that things are that's happening all the time. So if you're not staying on top of it, you just lose corals, and, and it's really not a time to be lazy. You have to get in there and do it. And by the way, I didn't say earlier that um, I wouldn't recommend the size of aquarium for anybody, even if it was their dream tank. Cause it's are just you so, sure? It's just, it, it is ridiculously hard to maintain flow in a system that's over 20 feet long um, and have flow like the ocean is because they can't stand direct flow constant direct flow it has to be intermittent flow and they'll thrive the best and they can take a ton of flow and again those that are listening understand what i'm talking about it's like it's kind of the key to the whole thing so one of the things you described out there while we're uh, sitting talking about the tank and seeing different pieces is you have power heads all over the tank it is a very long tank so when you're going through and you're trying to do flow coral you, you were explaining they need a lot of flow but not necessarily continual direct flow. So Correct. you have alternating heads across the tank. So imagine, I don't know how to explain this, they a rotate. pipe coming from the top and literally just telescoping back and forth. Correct. We There's a company out there that, that makes a uh, C-sweep and a C-swirl. And depending on what you're putting on the end of that is is kind of that rotating, keeping the, the flow. And it's interesting because Ty and I just last week were still adjusting flow. That's a never-ending battle. And trying to make sure that the pumps are working, because if you just have a few of them that have been out for a while, you can start to see corals that'll that'll start to die because they just haven't been getting the flow that they need. And because of that flow, they need the flow towards them just to collect food, correct? Well, that and, and it takes blows debris off. You know, if something does land on them, they can keep, you know, it's just if you think about the ocean, the, the wave action is really what you're trying to accomplish. And again, I, ha I have some friends that go to Indonesia quite often, and they say when they're down looking at the coral, they're hanging onto ropes, and they literally, their feet are hanging out like they're in a flag in a 20 mile an hour wind. So they, you know, when they told me that, I'm, you know, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's the ocean. But again, they can they can tolerate about as much as you can throw at them as long as it's intermittent. It, it's a hurricane in the tank. <laughs> you see some of these, you know, small anemones in there when it's oscillating. It's like an oscillating fan. It's yeah, basically exactly, what exactly it is. Exactly what it is. And it's all over the tank in all directions and just watching the fish keep up with it because, again, you have a, a ray of fish, but even like the small damsels, they'll, they'll get, you know, sucked in it and they'll they know how to oh, yeah. con convene as it, as it moves. It's a, it's a real incredible deal. But yeah, 
that must have been again continually adjusting. You, you figure you get some flow because you're you're what you're pushing water from one end to the other, essentially, correct? Yeah, and that's you know carrying out the you know having that nutrient export going through the sump in the back and having that constantly turning through there. The other pumps in the tank are really meant to just keep moving what's in there around, circulating, and and again that intermittent side of it for the coral. How many gallons per hour does your sump push? Well, I would say uh, around 4,000. That's incredible, mm-hmm. 4,000. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, you do the math you want, you know, double per hour, so that's a, exactly the measurement of, uh, of any other tank. But, but that's, how do you, I mean, that's the thing is, how, how do you really know what that is? I, I wouldn't think, do they make a tool <laughs> so we know exactly how much we have? I mean, we're, we're, we're you know, it, that being more of an educated guess based on the, the gallons per hour that the pumps say that they can do and the percentage that they're running. That, that's basically what you have to rate it yeah. on is the pumps. Yeah. Anything else is, I don't know how you, how you would measure that. Put a weird, you know, pendulum blade in the tank and just call it good. But They have flow meters. Yeah, they have flow meters. But in that size of a tank, when you're making a bunch of waves, you'd have to do it at the, somewhere at the intake. Yeah, it's like the internal you measure off of the basis of all those pumps. So there's, there's two times internal. So, so through the sump, it, it, two times an hour, right? Right. But inside the tank, it's 10 times that amount based on basically the the seven closed loop pumps and then the seven uh, internal pumps as well. Gotcha. Going back to the uh, the frags, how often do you frag? Um, about every three months. But it, but we if, if you say how often do you frag, how often do you go nuts, and how often is it just because you break a piece or you're moving stuff around or it just needs to because it's growing into another one? That happens so, pretty regularly. I mean, almost weekly. So how often per week do you say you have to you know frag out? Uh, I, I think we're... We're doing at least once a week um, to like, some extent. Like how many frags? For uh, once a week, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen. Although on Tuesday, no, Wednesday, there was 500 frags cut in the tank. So that would be like once every three months for the, the extreme cut. Yeah, the extreme. Because it take, would take that long for things to kind of grow back and you know heal up, produce more frags, I guess. So it's incredible to think that the picture that you're seeing is after the extreme frag, and there's still that much in there. Oh, yeah. That really is something to fathom. So I'd like to get a, a picture sometime before you do that extreme cutting just to have a comparison you know, left to right. Here's this mangrove jungle, and then here's still a full tank after we're done. <laughs> and it almost looks like you haven't really touched it. And I will send you some pictures, too. We had several frag... Uh, racks that we had inside the tank. Uh, we had two racks that hold 200 frags, so we had 400 acropora cut, and then of course we had LPS, um, pectina, and mushrooms. We had all kinds of stuff that were cut. Perfect. Now the the guys that came down and grabbed all the frags from you, you're explaining it, explaining it to us how um, they came down and did this, and and tell them how they take them back to their place. That's scary. For number one, number one, they cut them all in less than 24 hours. They took them back, which. For me, I was kind of panicking because I'd like to have a couple weeks for them to really kind of get back and heal a little bit. It was a little bit of a challenge. There was three of them that were here working. They went back with three Yeti coolers that were just the right size to have as a carry-on, and then one backpack Yeti cooler. Wouldn't have had it been Yeti, but it was nice because it kind of holds the temp much better in there, and the the soft sides are leak-proof. So when you have them in there, if you do have something that leaks or whatever, of all, we basically had a vi- you know think of a, a small cup with a cover on it that you can put three frags in every cup, and then you just load up the. They had a little interesting time going through the airport. You know, you, you go through security. I mean, there's not many people see you know somebody coming through with four four hundred plus frags. So they had all the cups sitting out and everything. They tested a few of them, and then they're on the plane with them and get back and then put them in their systems. They're looking at you like, no, no, it's not drugs, but I don't know what it is. It's glowing. Well, I was lucky enough because one time I went through with some frags going into a, a show, and the guy through TSA was had his had his own reef tank. 
So his head was right. He couldn't believe it. He so he knew what like, he was looking at. Oh, did yeah. You, he, did you just give him like one extra one so that he yeah. right through? <laughs> yeah. No. It's, like, here you go, buddy. Just yeah. a tip. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just take little, it. Just take it. Here's oh. a little frag. Just, <laughs> you know, the first one is always free, and then they always charge you for the next one. That's right. That's how they get you hooked. At least they didn't get you with the rubber glove. That's all that matters. <laughs> True. Very true. He didn't fly uh, Schmelta. That's that's why he had such a great time. You know, we yeah. haven't hammered on Schmelta Airlines today. Yet. It's it's been an entire episode since we've said anything about yeah. that about them. Yeah, yeah. It, it you know Schmelta, not Delta. Not to be confused. <laughs> we could not. No, I understand. Yeah, but they're, they're all they're all petri dishes at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I, yeah. I gotta fly here in a couple months. I'll be thinking about that as I'm yeah. using the bathroom in there. So, do these guys come up every time and and do the fragging for you? Or sometimes you travel with them. They do. Sometimes I travel. Most of the time, uh, they they come up. And again, they do a lot of online auctions. Getting coral from someone like them is very important, and people know it because it's it's uh, pest free and. They do a lot of processes to make sure that it happens. So I've gotten a lot of pieces that I've gotten from them that I've grown out, and and you wouldn't think about it, but they're they're fairly easy to to move. People people are pretty sought after, especially now. Again, I, I talk about online auctions and stuff, but that's really come been the craze. You know, people get on. They have you know nine hundred people at a time, you know, sitting in and auctioning off corals, and it's pretty pretty interesting. So I want you to flex a little bit for our audience, right? Our, our super nerds. What are like you know your four or five most you know sought after corals well i have a reef raft canada bleeding avengers and um i have uh that's just a great name yeah yeah i have two guys coral acrolandia is that kind of like five guys sandwich shop (laughs) yeah i have a i have a matt v is another great hobbyist um he's got some of the most sought after corals so i have several of his including his looney tunes which is very rare we need to get in this naming no listen no i bought a piece of crust for fifteen hundred dollars i put crust it wasn't even a frag. Like I'll just take the crust, but I've, <laughs> but I've managed to grow the crust into a into a colony, which is which is great. And again, I'm still fighting to get my money back out of. Well, stuff. I'm going to sell you a, a rock off your beach here in a little bit. Just because it sounds like fifteen hundred dollars for for a crust for a crust. And then you know one of the the corals that I have in there, and it, and it's interesting how the naming of a coral can sell the coral, right? Because some of them just have stupid names and they're fifty dollars. I'm buying Looney Tunes because it's Looney Tunes. I know, I mean, and, that's, and that's best. There's one. Uh, it's Jason Fox is another great uh, hobbyist. Um, sells a lot of corals. He uh, he has his Jason Fox home wrecker, and uh, that's the one that <laughs> it's you a home wrecker. It's the one if you brought your wife to the trade show, it'd wreck your home. Oh. <laughs> but uh, 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 this is from experience, obviously. Uh, well, you know. It's what makes it fun too, and people say, "God, if I can only get a piece of that one day," or you know, they they. And again, I go back to being blessed to be able to, to afford things like that or to find them because I've I've had to hunt coral down. I've I've heard of it, I see a picture of it, and then I try to find who has it. And some of that is just there's only two or three of us that have it. That's half the fun, isn't it? I oh mean, yeah. To, to try to trace down something that is so rare and you just want it, just yeah. to have it. Well, another coral, like uh, think about names. There's Reef Raff Canada Angry Birds. Well, Angry Birds. And it does look like Angry Birds. I mean, it's kind of a cool name. Again, those of that understand the hobby, yeah. so I'd I, love a piece of Angry Birds. You know where I can get one. But. I feel like this has been discovered recently because, you know, what? when was Angry Birds done? Like 10 years ago? So they discovered it, they named it Angry Birds? Yeah. Or it just was a, a name and then they just renamed it Angry Birds? because they, Well, everything has a scientific name. And then they give it a name that makes it sell. And people like Angry Birds. And, and that coral's been around, of course, six, seven years or whatever. Um, it's interesting because you go out to Indonesia where a lot of these acropora come from. They bring them you know they bring them in and depending on the amount of nutrients and light they get them to color up and all of a sudden somebody recognizes a new piece and that that 
you know, Indonesia has been shut down for the for the past couple of years almost, and it's just now opening back up. So I can't imagine the new stuff that's going to come in. Are you traveling there soon? I I think I have. <laughs> I don't think I could. No? Well, I'm just saying just because of the food thing. I, food I seem thing. to always have issues when I go abroad. Don't gotta, eat Don't eat rat. No, no, no. no. Oh. You got to worry about like the water and everything when you go overseas. The amoebas. Like, yeah. Well, when you go there, if you go there for a week, that's really not even close to long enough because it takes you two days to get there and two days to get back. And then, you know, you're hanging out in Indonesia, going out to these places. And when Stephen told me, my, friend, my friends, that he... Uh, was hanging on to a rope so he didn't blow blow away and i could just about imagine me i can't swim very well so hanging on to a rope whoa whoa you're in I, Minnesota. I don't, want, I don't want my you know friends to call my wife and say your your husband just blew away into the ocean somewhere you know like <laughs> just doesn't appeal to me too much <laughs> <laughs> you know the way i like to float in the ocean we, we we go snorkeling every every year when we go on our cruise and stuff i find that if you drink half a beer and put your thumb over the bottle it will keep you floating. <laughs> That's awesome. Try it out. You yeah. know, I'm a big guy. I use two beers, but it works yeah, out pretty good funny. for me. <laughs> Perfect. Don't use that as a life preserver. Just want to put that uh, I'm a train- We're going to get sued from that. Tip. I'm a trained professional, dude. I know how to drink beer in the ocean. <laughs> All right. So if you guys need tips, call Jimmy. We have a hotline on our website, aquariumguys.com. Ask more beer tips. Yeah, there right. we go. So... Let's talk about the construction of the tank. So you had an idea. I want a sweet, kick-ass reef tank. How did you start? You just start, you know, Googling it. How did you get a hold of Ty? Well, so before I could even begin to think about that, I had to find somebody to help me with it because it's just, it's way overwhelming. And so I found Ty. At first, I'm super skeptical because we are in, you know, Brainerd and I, I knew they had a... Tom's Penton Hobby used to be here, and well, how can know, we get an expert that just happened to be in the middle that's of a, you, know, you know that's the thing, Tom, Minnesota. I, that's the thing I think is is so unique about this is that there was somebody that actually knew what they were doing, and and the amount of questions I asked and his answers to it, and he, his knowledge was way beyond what mine was, and so I felt super comfortable. But again, if you're going to be successful at anything, you have to have people around you that are smarter than you, and I think Ty. At the same time, I mean, how many people have built a two thousand gallon reef tank? So you need to have outside expertise, and we did. We sought out quite a few. Ty had good connections and put it together how we're going to put in the closed loops how we're going to do the where are they going to be located because again it's all around flow so how do you design something that big that's going to you know be sustainable i guess so literally he was your first uh first real contact and you decided yeah. you know he had some expertise let's give this a try and hey ty let's let's see what you can put together for a design yeah that's exactly how it was that's that's fantastic yeah. so from the design perspective um you're like i want this tank nope bigger how about this tank? No, no, bigger. No, I think we came down. I mean, I basically took a tape measure and I said, yeah, we can just run it out here. Because, it, again, it's so being so naive that I, I I just wanted a huge tank. It was my dream, right? But I never really knew because, keep in mind, it was in my home for two years before I even went to a trade show. And when I was talking, they, they, people were like, you got a 2000 What? You know, they're kind of, it's, it's been that way all, you know, everyone that, that fi- finds out about it, I guess, because I didn't realize the extent that it was compared to the rest of the hobby. It's just a very rare thing. I think what you could probably name your tank is the holy crap tank because everybody <laughs> comes down here and goes, holy crap. Yeah. Obviously, this is something way beyond most hobbyists. This is probably better than a lot of small zoos. Even sure. large zoos. Even large zoos. Even yeah. large zoos. This is beyond anything that I've ever seen, and we've seen a lot in all the years. Well, the budget that you would have to have, too, in a, in a public setting, you know, you have a lot of the same, the, the, I guess, the, the type of coral but not necessarily the rarest type of that coral. You know what I mean? So it'd be hard for them to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, have to have either someone like donate pieces and then you'd have to have the staffing. Right. And, and I have some pieces in there that I, you know, one we call the death spiral 
I bought it from one frag. It's a Monty that just grew into this thing. That's you know you can't even get your arms around it now. And so that's something that's probably going to end up at a at a, a public aquarium, public reef aquarium, because it's just gonna, it's just too, too out of control right now. Have you donated any of your rare corals to different aquariums? Not or yet. Not not yet. Um, there is some definite pieces that I think would be great. I do have a second aquarium that has over a hundred designed clownfish in it, and in a in a and a sunburst and enemies that have continued to split in it. Um, I think you guys mentioned you like to go see that. That's yep, at a, that's a gym that I have. Next. Yeah, but that's, again, the idea of certain things in my aquarium are going to just grow out of bounds. You have no place to go with it, and then rather than throw it in the garbage, you got to make sure that, you know, because what am I going to do with it? Well, they're unique pieces a lot of times. Like, well, like, yeah. You said you couldn't even get your arms around it. Well, yeah, you, you can't, can't get really frag that, and you're losing the integrity of the piece. Well, you could because it, it, it well... Integrity from how it looks. Right. When we say spiral, you can just see, you can visual, visualize it being spiraled. And you've probably seen some of that thing, you know, some of that same type of coral, but maybe not that color. Um, and I think that's a beautiful piece for someone. To, so that would be a great centerpiece for oh, somebody. Yeah. Heck yeah. So back to the building process. So you had a vision, you wanted this big, you try to design it. And, you know, how long did building take? Start uh, to finish. Oh, I would say it was a good year and year and a half, maybe, of the design and pumps and and kind of getting it to the point of, and again, going back to the, the initial stages of it, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners say, I think this is a really cool hobby I should look at getting into. I've been in freshwater my whole life. And just the thought of everything that you do, you have to do very slow, very methodical, take your time. Because anything you do and try to rush into it, throw a bunch of stuff in there, it doesn't really matter. It has to take time because it, it has to just create its own, I don't know if it's life cycle, if you will. Ecosystem. Ecosystem, exactly. I think that's a, a key part of that. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, we, we let the lights on like 7% at the, at the peak for eight months before actually turning the lights up enough that a coral can actually live with the carbon source. So, so just to go over this, you know, 2000 gallon aquarium in the perspective of like freshwater, it's not necessarily that, that big of a no. big of aquarium, you know, big rich, I think they have, you know, they, they turned a pool into an aquarium. They have a single stand-up aquarium that's like you know, 4,400 gallons. But for reef, you really just don't see that because, again, you already described a lot of the problems that you don't see. The flow alone is uh, is the biggest issue for you. But So you, you put it in, you installed it, and you know a year and a half, I'm assuming that was a lot of you know changes and learning experiences along the way that it's not just you know one guy coming in and trying to install it in two months. It's, you know, maybe we want to do this. There's a lot of thought process. Oh, I, I really want this. And there was some change to it, correct? Yeah. In freshwater, you, you have a lot more forgiveness because you're not really dependent on so many different trace elements. I mean, just the cost of maintenance alone of a size of a tank kind of make it out of bounds for most people just because, I mean, I just CO2 uh, media that I have to help pull or help raise pH. I have my skimmer pulling that air through the CO2 media. I mean, we go through $150, $200 a month in just CO2 media. I mean, that's not, not none of the calcium, magnesium, I mean. So what you is the CO2 media? Um, CO2 media is, it's a medical type of media that when you pull, it, it pulls uh, CO2 out of the air. You know, basically think of it as a filter. So you're pulling air through it. It's capturing the CO2 and it indirectly helps with, uh, with the pH in the, in the aquarium. A lot of maintenance and upkeep. So when you started, and again, you put 7%, you know, how was uh, the startup the first, you know, two years? Because you said three years or three years ago is when you started getting a lot of the different corals. So that first, uh, you know, two years, you know, what was your first creatures? You know, what uh, what did you learn? Was there anything that went wrong? Because when I've started tanks, you know, I'll get certain species that don't work with different species. I'll get some weird algae bloom I've never heard of. You know, how was those that first startup for you? Well, again, it goes back to... Ty's experience of doing everything slowly. So the thing, you know, without 
too much light in the tank. I have to go crazy on something. So I started with fish. And it seemed like the more beautiful the fish are, in a lot of cases, come from deeper water. So I had several fish that come from 400 feet down. And when you come from that deep in the ocean, uh, that water is much colder. So you bring that those fish here, and now you have them in a, you know, they're going from 60 degrees to 75 degrees, 78 degrees. Um, their metaz- metabolism changes. They do grow very quickly, but they don't last as long because of that. So I think certain fish, I mean, I, I can't even, I won't even want to say how much money I've lost in fish just because of that. Uh, it's unbelievable. But we've had a chance to experience some of the most beautiful fish in the world. And now that I know that, I, I have to stick to things that I know that are going to live long term. Otherwise, they may as well just stay in the ocean. And again, now your goal is the the uh, actual coral reef. So you're looking for things that uh, you know help make sure things are keeping starfish away. You know, cleaning. It's a never-ending battle. I remember having aptasia, which are think of them as an enemy, but they become a pest because they sting corals. So they and they populate very quickly. And I remember it first happened to me. I saw one. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, you know, because I didn't know anything. And then. It's that, alive in the tank. Yeah, that's, that's and, literally and I, what Jen was saying when she was saying like, "Ooh, what's that? That's kind of cool." No, I know. And, and what what happened was, I, I thought it was cool, and then I got a few more, and then it was like microwave popcorn. You know, right at the end when it's going nuts, and they were all over my tank. So you go in the store and you're like, what do I do to keep? You know, we well, need a peppermint shrimp. So I get a peppermint shrimp, but then find out it's the wrong peppermint shrimp. You know, you get this other ways, other solutions. You know, to squirt on them and try to Lemon kill them. Juice. I, I mean, was going to say, Calclosser. Like, yeah, I mean, you can do all these things to try to get rid of them, and and the thing that I found that. And I go, there's got to be something in the wild that eats them. And so sure enough, I found these uh, nudibranchs that all they eat in the in wild is aptasias. And you put them in there. It takes a long time because they have to multiply, but they literally consume every one of them in, in the aquarium. And we've done that in here, but with the sheer number of wrasses, it's basically just putting a bunch of hostess snowballs in there where they just <laughs> mow It's like candy. Them. Yeah. And the thing I want to point out is in a tank this size, when you put something in the tank, you're not going to net it out. I mean, there's no way to catch a fish in there. Other than how do you do it? You're completely wrong. Really? Can you <laughs> I, catch uh, it? Well, what I did, um, because I love fishing, I grew up fishing in Minnesota, ah. so I, I ordered hooks um, from China that catch or, ornamental ornamental fish with them, ranging from a half inch to two inch. So we had this issue, so many wrasses, and they basically took out my cleaning crew, specifically the crabs, because they like crab legs, apparently. And that... That, that sounds expensive. Oh, yeah. Delicious. So, so without the competition of the crabs, we started getting these Asterina starfish that are these little tiny starfish, the little hard starfish. And like, they're cool, except when you have hundreds of thousands of them that I have. So the next thing is, what each starfish? So I bring in, we said, well, we got to bring in some harlequin shrimp because that's all they eat a starfish. Well, the problem is I still have the wrasses because they like to eat shrimp too. Ty goes, I don't know what we're going <laughs> to, I don't know what we're going to do about that. Well, I, I called him the next day and I said, I got six of them out of there. Goes, what? And you can imagine when you, when you try to get one of them out, they're like living in caves and things and you pretty much have to take everything out of the tank to yep. get them out of there. But I, I use these little tiny hooks, literally can hardly see them. And, uh, especially with my eyes, the way they are and you tie them, I just tipped them with like a piece of mysis shrimp, stick it in there. And of course everybody wants to go around it. I got 200 damsels trying to get it too. So I had to do it just, just right. And they would, they would hit it and I'd pull them out and so there, your family has to be sitting there around. You're wearing a fishing hat. You got the vest on. <laughs> you got a bucket next to you, and you're like, "Let's do it." And they're like, "Dad, are you fishing right now?" Yeah, it is. They 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 laugh at me, but there's sometimes you you get to realize in a in a the tank is really I think of it as harmony or a culture in the tank, right? And you could you could drop a a real dickhead in the tank and it just ruins it for everybody else and i've had that happen i I put fish in there and the people they don't not people i call them people the other fish can't even stand to be around it they'll still eat but it's not as harmonious as it would be and that's just one that i you know and it's nice because i have sources to bring them to if i need to 
but I, there's just certain ones. I, you see, there's a pretty big tang in there. I don't know if it's a Vlaminji or what exactly it is, but it's a huge tang. It's, it's probably, huge. It's like a foot long. Yeah. I had another one in there that was about that same size, more in the shape of a sunfish kind of thing. That was a little bit interesting because I actually used a bigger jig that I would use in the lake. I thought I had my drag set. <laughs> <laughs> that thing, that thing ripped it so fast that I thought I had the bail open. And all I could hear is, and it was running around the tank, around rocks and stuff with this jig in its mouth. And luckily it shook the jig loose. I'm like, oh, thank God. You know, I don't have a fish in there with a jig hanging out of its mouth, which is just like a little weighted hook. But anyways, I used, I, and then I moved up to a treble hook with fire line and it bent the treble hook straight. So yeah. for those that don't know what fire line is, it's a braided, <laughs> essentially it's fishing line that's braided into a cord so it can't snap unless you like bite through it. Yeah, so it bent the treble hook straight, then I had to go up to the next size treble hook, and then eventually I couldn't catch him with a fish line in there just based on the dynamics of the tank. So well, I, you figure by this time he'd learn. Well, what I ended up doing is taking a big net, and I kept putting, uh, you know, kept feeding with that for a period of about two months. Eventually, the fish were going in and out of the You net. had to deal with them for two months trying oh, to get yeah. them out of oh, there? Oh, yeah. And that thing would chase fish around in there. It was just a pain. But um, eventually, I got him out. I'm going to mount him. I was just going to say, are you going to mount <laughs> are him? You? Yeah, he's in the freezer. That's going to be I great. had no place to bring him. I mean, I can't even... Can you think of a taxidermist that take a tropical fish and give it a go? Oh, probably. We'll That's find one. Yeah. Enough money, though. We'll send it to Germany. Suppose. Yeah. Just send it to Germany. <laughs> Those Germans yeah. are nuts. Yeah. yeah. Put a little, you know, pea sample with it and be like, I want you to test this and I want you to mount that. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. <laughs> so, yeah, like a regular net, you, I mean, it would be a half a day just to try to catch a damn damsel in there. It really would. Oh, yeah. And, and that big fish, too, when I got him out, I mean, he flip-flopped on the floor and I, I didn't know what to do. It was, Punt him. Just was, kick him. It was water. I mean, it, I mean, it was crazy. You thought something major happened in the house the way that thing was flying around on the floor but and i don't say that because i know it sounds kind of bad you know he didn't mean to be in my tank you know he got put there got caught but again i had nowhere to go with him and i thought well to so i I wrapped him up like i would if i went to canada and caught a big walleye or something i wrapped him up in a towel and he's in the freezer yeah because i mean when you get something that that large that could destroy thousands of dollars of coral yeah and and just by its sheer size well what because you'd spook them and they'd run through the acros and look like a just rags flying around and it just wasn't fun and most people don't have a saltwater tank big enough like even 2,000 gallons in a saltwater i'm gonna say is probably one of the larger saltwaters i don't know of anybody that much less reef yeah much less reef see i've been playing around so much with trying to catch him that i didn't necessarily pick the night i was gonna do it he just happened to go into the you know so here it is it's 10 o'clock at night how am I going to bring him to the Mall of America? Like, even keeping this thing alive overnight because I, I don't have a bucket. I mean, it was just one of those things. Was there any beer involved in this? Oh, yeah. Okay, just yeah. checking. This is sponsored sure. by McGolden Light. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> one of the things I want to talk about is a little bit of pest control. So you were explaining, and I, f- I feel the same way. Anytime you talk to any experienced hobbyist, everybody has their own tricks or something they've learned along in the hobby that's pretty unique and extremely time-saving. And one of the things was the coolest thing of pest control. Can you tell us a little about that you were just doing with us earlier? Um, what specifically? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to say it because well, I'll spoil it. Well, here's the thing. So we talked about Aptasia earlier. And and again, the ways of getting rid of Aptasia. I just happened to load up the tank at one point here with a couple hundred peppermint shrimp. And then I would go in with a laser. It was like a 9-watt laser, which won't affect the acrylic or anything. And I go in and I, and I burn them. And uh, they crackle, snap, and pop. And then later on that evening, they get the remains get eaten by a shrimp. It's it's amazing. So <laughs> it is the coolest thing ever. He has a freaking laser beam. All right. 
Yeah. So what they did is on a you, shark's head. You talked on <laughs> a freaking shark's head. You, you talked to some of uh, some of these guys that gave you the idea, and you had a special laser built. So what they have is you see the like security guards in the mall comp. They have those mag lights, those heavy metal flashlights. So what they did is they modded the flashlight to have an insert. So instead of a light bulb, they literally have the blue laser on the top, and they're powered by these big. A little bigger than lithium a battery, ion yeah. batteries. Yeah, they look like a diesel battery. They're about that size. So, if any listeners are on, it's basically the exact same kind as for vape pens, the big vape units that you get from a specialized vape store. They're rechargeable. They give a lot of watts when you hit the button, and you, we have to wear glasses, Protective orange glasses, glasses, just to protect from reflection. Because when you're shooting this laser, we have to make sure that you're doing it the correct angle the reflection isn't going to hit anything because if you do, it could burn you, your skin. It could oh, I have a few shirts eye. that I burn holes in. My hand's been burnt because of the reflection. So generally, I like to have a couple people when we do it to say, hey, where's the reflection at? So we know where it's at. So I'm not going to burn the house down or right. something. What's that? That's my <laughs> eyebrow. Yeah, that's Ty's my, eyebrow? Yeah. It's, almost, it's, it's always too late, too, when you realize it. You're already burnt. You already got a hole. <laughs> it's just unreal. You go to the doctor's like you have skin cancer in the weirdest places. I don't know what's going on. But it's on. been but it's been great. You know, there's other pests, of course, you can use with it. But it, it's a way to keep the population down. And if I burn ten to twelve a, a week or every other week, you know, I keep the population of the aptasias down that way. So have you ever tried to laser like a moving target, like some starfish that's wiggling around? No, but I've tried to burn the asterinas off the glass. Those little starfish. No, Probably doesn't work. Well, it does, but it takes a long time for some reason. And then with the hundreds of thousands of them, I mean, I don't have the time to sit and burn starfish. Well, that and you have to be careful because you have acrylic glass. Now, the glass is clear. There's no fog to it, so it's safe to shoot a laser through glass. Yeah. But if you have something on it, you're heating the object on the glass, which could potentially melt the acrylic. Yeah. So you have to be very careful. You're, you're doing things on the t- object in the tank. Yeah, and if, and if you do, you know, you can Google this stuff, and sometimes, you know, people have videos of it or whatever, and... I just thought it was the most unique way because it it's one of the most annoying pests in the hobby because everybody seems to get them. They seem to ride in on a coral. You might not even know, but they're there. And a lot of times people try to pick them. You know, they'll have something that'll kind of go in there and stir it around. And that's the worst thing you could do because now you just... You're spreading it. Yeah, oh, you, yeah, big time. Have you ever tried it like outside, like in a hornet's nest or something? I think that'd be kind of fun. No, it would. I've, I've gone to a football game and I was burning the back of a guy's head. Well, he was what? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at him like, holy kind of crap. A, it was a, the opponent. No. Um, I've shot it across the lake, but again, you're not allowed to have one like that. I mean, I don't think the Air Federal FAA, they call it or whatever, would be real happy with that. Yeah, you're not shy- shining it up in the air. It's unbelievable. I can go all the way across the 10,000-acre lake and shine it on a building if I want. It, it's pretty incredible. They have uh, lasers that they've actually used for military contract service. The Navy, <laughs> was it three years ago? had these uh, lasers installed and they're literally militant lasers and they cost like nothing to shoot because it's just the power for the, the right. laser itself. And they're using it because it actually would work as a small gun. Right. I can't wait to get home, see if I can purchase one of these. And it costs you what, around 100, 120 bucks? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I can't wait to give this a try at home and see if I can do like, you know, blackbeard algae or something in my freshwater tank. Or let's take out your drone and I'll fly your drone around and you can try to knock it out of the air. Oh, those will knock it out of the air because they had riots in uh, Santiago. And they, a bunch of people had like the laser pointers and they aimed like 20 or 30 of them at the drones and the police drones. And it actually knocks the drones out of the sky. Oh. I watched the video of it. It's actually really cool because nobody knew that it would happen until like a bunch of people started doing it. And it messes with either. The- they're, they're, they're IR. Those are the ones okay, they use yeah. for, for police. Yeah. The ones that aren't IR, then it would be a different story. But Your friends are twisted. <laughs> so many people now are just listening to us. They expected fish conversation, and now they're looking up drones and freaking laser beams. Yeah. <laughs> it's all over. 
on a shark. Yeah. Yep. So, and we're going to get that mole removed on your butt cheek there, Jimmy. I, you know, when I saw that laser, I, I, I did say to Sean, I said, you know, I spent all this money, you know, on a bisectomy and I could have probably <laughs> come over here and had it done for nothing, you know? Yeah. I mean, he is skilled. He has a good aim. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not too sure. You know, if he stayed at a, at a Holiday Inn Express last night, you know, maybe he is a doctor. We don't know. Yeah, okay. I'm going to pause you there. You made this joke a couple times, Holiday Inn Express. I had to Google it. Sure, sure enough, it was a commercial big meme for a while. So you, you didn't know that you are you are a skilled memer. You know what? The next thing I'll, I'll I'll show you what a phone booth is. We'll go over that again. No, no, Do they no. Even have phone booths anymore? No, no. Those Shut are for up, Superman to change in. All right, that's what they're exclusively made for. I don't know what the phone part is for, but we'll get to there. You you young kids know nothing. My grandma had a rotary telephone. Yeah, she probably whacked you alongside the head with it too. He's so mean. Do you see this, Sean? This is the abuse I have to take on the podcast. Well, I think that's what makes the podcast as good as it is. Yeah, it's right. abuse. And you know, the nice thing about a podcast, you can't see the bruises. So that's true. It's all good. Orange in a sock. <laughs> if you uh, feel <laughs> in a sock, yeah. If you feel as threatened as I do, go to the AquariumGuysPodcast.com <laughs> at the bottom of the website, call us, and just check in on us to see if we're okay. Do you feel safe at home? No. <laughs> yeah. So, Adam, you've been you've been quiet over there, buddy. Buddy, come on, give him the questions you're holding back. Well, no, I was just amazed because. So he's got a black zebra tang, and that's a rare fish. But the harlequin shrimp, nobody keeps those. I mean, they they try to keep them alive in captivity, but they don't live very long. How long have they been alive in your tank? Um, I'm more of the fish guy, so sorry. Quite a while. I you know the thing is is that you know I've had harlequins before. You know, again, they only eat shrimp. So you most people will buy like a chocolate chip starfish, and they'll put it in the tank. And the cool thing about the harlequins is that. They keep that chocolate chip or that starfish alive while they're consuming it. So that, that starfish will stay alive for a few weeks. You'll see them uh, work together to flip it over, and they actually inject it to slow its whatever down. Metabolism. metabolism so they can consume it because they won't eat it when it's dead. But they'll keep that thing alive for a few weeks so they can consume it. It's pretty cool. That's Creepy. How That's how I like my steak. But right now, so think about the Asterinas. They're super small, right? We're talking like really tiny. I don't know if it's like potato chips for them in there. I, I, I don't know. But Ty spotted one the other day, and he said it's the biggest one he's ever seen. So. Well, that's a big one. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like you see that, and that's like right up there with zoo level or even better than zoos or tropical, you know. Well, the goal, you know, the goal is to try to mimic the ocean, right? All the, everything that you can do that they need. And if you do that right, I think you can get pretty much everything to to survive. So, I was going over with, I was telling you about the fish spawning, and you've had, it looks like you have several tang species that have paired off and the mandarin gobies have paired off. And I was at a, t- a talk and this guy had talked about being at the Georgia Aquarium and the Georgia Aquarium, the fish, like you can actually set your watch to their spawn times. So like the zebra t- or yellow tangs would breed at like 845 and they'd have like a 30 minute window and he could watch this huge group of yellow tangs just breeding and then from 915 to 930 or 945 it was this other species of tang you've never noticed any of that is that an idea you're going to try to look at well i never really even thought about that to look for that i just know that there's some goofy stuff that happens right before the lights go off (laughs) closing time is always a son of a gun it is everyone's trying to pair up and you know you have to go ugly early to avoid the rush oh god yes No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, mean, I never really I mean, noticed. I had, you know, there's been, um, we've had a lot of the, the snails that have done that. You know, you'll see that spawning take place in the tank, which the corals love. It's just, they, they eat that right up. So, Have you noticed any of your corals trying to spawn, like some of your mature corals, or have you never gotten them to like? You know, I haven't. I, I, you know, that level that level of, you know, fish spawning and coral spawning, it's just something I've ne- I haven't um, had a lot of experience with or really know much about. It would be pretty cool, though. 
yeah. have, a, have a homewrecker baby pop up on the other side of the tank. I don't know. I have seen that you have <laughs> Coral Magazine. Do you you subscribe you're a subscriber to it? Yeah. Yeah. Have you been reading their breeding articles? Because like every year they seem to come out with more and more rare saltwater fish that they're breeding. Yeah, I think uh, you know, um, unless the 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 size of the system. I mean, if I were to go, if I were, I, I would think if I was interested in having a certain thing, and some are, you know, I've never bred in captivity, others have or do. I think if, I think it depends on how much other varieties of fish. So they feel like it's kind of their area. They feel a little safer doing it, I guess, mm-hmm. um, versus <laughs> safer doing it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but so, uh, like, like underneath the club, you know, underneath the stairway. Yeah. You know, safer there than yeah. like, like out on the dance floor. With the yeah. lights off right. in the corner. Wah, wah. Safer. Yeah. Exactly. Boing, boing. Uh, pizza? I didn't order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Your whose daughter? Yeah. Wait, wait they open up the box. It's nothing but frags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is the ultimate goal besides, you know, are you planning on keeping... I, I, I understood about the, you know, some of this stuff we can only see in captivity right now it's so super rare is that your goal is to like keep a wide variety of like the rarest of the rare and have that as like a backup colony to give to a zoo or anything well yeah i think if you look at um just just the the sheer amount of stuff that's in there to to have them in those that have been in the you know reef keeping understand how hard it is to keep a mixed reef which is you know really the spectrum of various different corals and coral types i've had this on my mind for quite a while based on the size of some of the stuff that grows especially the plating stuff just goes out of control but I don't really have a, a an ultimate plan for that, other than I know that it's going to happen, and and you know we're getting close on a few of these pieces in here now that I I just simply would rather create more room for other stuff instead of having something that's the size of a you know a twenty two inch tire. Yeah, some of them are huge. <laughs> yeah, I know. So when when you donate something like that to a, a zoo, how do you move something that large? I well, mean, that's part of the challenge. You know, we you know. Every shipment of coral, every ship, you know, we keep the box as a big styrofoam. So I don't even know if we have something that size. So Ty's probably thinking, but I would guess in that particular piece, we would probably take a, you know, 45 to 55 gallon garbage can, fill it up halfway with salt water and drop it in there and put it in the back of the truck with a lid and maybe a heater or something just to get it somewhere. It depends on the time of year. Sounds like a great tax write off to me. Oh, yeah. I would think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just call a big rich and be like, no, no, no. You have to rent a U-Haul, put two guys in the back, and, and fill prime. it with prime. Yep. Fill prime. <laughs> yeah, fill it with prime. Yeah, prime's key. Have you ever had any like, fish breed continually in your in your tank? Well, I think a lot of people, if they have cardinal fish, they, they're probably one of the most prolific breeders in captivity because they just, you know, it's, it seems like every so often I've got a bunch of little ones in there. And either in the, Somehow they make it through. They go buy pumps that are sucking at, you know, 4,000 gallons an hour, make it by somehow, and then we end up with a few of them. We put them back in that frag tank. I'll feed them back there, and then you know, Ty may have a home for it or something if we can get it to to go on. It yeah. seems to be everybody loves that. You know, you see a little baby back there. You're like, That's cool. Ba- you know? Baby bang eyes, right? Or yeah, do you have any other, just the bang eye? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You ever see, uh, like, check your, your filter sock and be like, oh, there's a bunch in here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just like, come on, kids, pick them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you done the little fake urchin? So that they have something to school around, um, and then maybe they'd go out to that. You know, I haven't done that, but I hear in the wild that's what they do. That's where the babies are to protect themselves from yep. getting eaten. But you seem to be really into the breeding. <laughs> I so like how many kids st- do you have? I have four. Oh, nice. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I, he, he's the father of four. Yeah. Who, who who charges his kids? Uh, what, what is it? Dad tax. Dad tax on candy is Halloween only. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. that's funny. You're, you're an ass, man. Just telling you. Yeah. Hey, give your kids Snickers. They deserve it. 
No, that's why he's on the schedule because you know all his breeding it happens at like nine o'clock p.m. when he's playing Stevie Wonder upstairs and just all his tanks go crazy. And the kids are somewhere where there's a bunch of spikes. They right. can't get at them. <laughs> <laughs> They're all hovered around the vacuum cleaner at home. Wait, yeah. do we just do another old reference to an old artist? Uh, we got to play it right here. I just Oh yeah, that <laughs> that was a sweet. sweet that made that probably made me. That's what happened. That really? Yeah, it just happened. Man, Stevie I, Wonder. You know, he's he's just sitting there blind and smiling because he knows things. Yeah. You know, every time I think of Stevie Wonder, I go right back to the guy who used to imitate him all the time. Come on, help me out. On Saturday Night Live, Eddie Murphy. Oh, oh yeah. Eddie Murphy. Come there on, you guys. Nobody, yeah. you, I, I left it for you there. Eddie Murphy's going to be back on Saturday Night Live here in the next couple of weeks. And oh, stuff. Thank God. And he's bringing back a lot of those old characters. So nice. shout out to Saturday Night Live. And for those that don't know, we did actually collect all of these weird song references from our, all our podcasts. And we have Jim's Breeding Playlist that will be on our website very soon. <laughs> it is uh, as cringy as you're assuming, but uh, it'll be a Spotify playlist ready for you. Nice. I'm an 80s rocker. You know that. If that doesn't make some spawns happen in your tanks, it's not our problem. It doesn't make you're kids doing end, it wrong. It doesn't make kids end up in the filter sock. I don't know what else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> filter sock. Joke. That was the best sock joke I've ever uh, heard. That was. I understand. Right. My my brother, who just recently got divorced, one day said something. I, I said, are you dating anyone now? He's been divorced a few years and stuff. And he goes, I, I bought a new pair of socks. I go, what? He, he said, yeah, I'll send you a picture of my girlfriend. Send me a picture of a, of a new pair of socks. And I, I don't even want to get into it with him. No. Yeah. I know. But yeah, that's just weird. That's it. Christmas. <laughs> so we have a, uh, a Secret Santa thing that we're doing. It's, no, it's not that secret. I already so, gave Jim my Secret Santa gift. Well, I'm getting you socks, Adam. Okay. Well, Costco has 100 right? packs. 100 <laughs> pack of socks. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> a good gift idea. Oh, my Lord. What would you do with 100 pair of socks? I'd never come out of the house. <laughs> Clean feet. I don't know. Just, <laughs> exactly. Robbie's speechless. I, wow. I'm trying to think. Like uh, My wife, she makes snowmen out of them, actually. She crafts, puts a, fills them with sand, and they're little snowmen creatures. Yeah. I couldn't think of what to use for garbage. I'm not that creative. Wow. This is, we went off the rails. We did. Yeah. So back to the point, you know, before we leave you today, I, I think what I like to do, especially, I, I classify you as the extreme hobbyist, clearly. So what secrets have you not told us? You know, what, is there like uh, some crazy story or, or some tricks that you recommend? And what are you not telling us, sir? For, for, uh, for what part of the, the hobby? Any part. You're, this is, this is your, your, your mic here. I don't think so. I think it, I think it's our, uh, responsibility uh, as hobbyists to make sure you pass around every little secret that you have to someone else. I mean, I just didn't wake up one day and said, I think a laser would work. I mean, you know, I that I, I gotta say it, is going to be the best secret I can, I can milk out today. That's yeah, amazing. Um, and you told me one today um, with the flow, cause I, you know, with that many pumps in the tank moving flow around, oftentimes one will stop, you know, still oscillating like a fan would, but it's just not on. And having that little piece of plastic on there to allow it to see when it's flapping in the in the breeze, so to speak, that you know it's working. And sometimes you can tell by looking at the corals, but acropora is hard to do because the polyp extension on them isn't near what a, like a euphilia would be to see the float. Well, sometimes you get to cheat because some of your pump heads have like a little piece of algae that'll yeah. flap for you. So <laughs> yeah, sometimes kind of something sucks of. through and it, it allows you to see it flapping. But Baby bang guy. Yeah. So I guess the uh, the real question is, somebody's listening to this, right? You 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 flexed on them a little bit, told them some crazy uh, Looney Tune species, right? And they're gonna they want to contact uh, and get your your coral. How can they get some of the frags that are uh, being issued out? I'm assuming you're you're auctioning these. Where are these auctioned? Well, uh, there's if you're willing to talk about it. Well, no, there's um, so the, the the folks that came up here are from uh, Top Shelf Aquatics in Orlando, Florida, and they do um, 
almost monthly auctions. Uh, they just went through a, a good, pretty good litany of them through Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday, and they'll have another one coming up uh, towards Christmas time. That will be the majority of the corals that they cut here uh, from from an auction perspective. And, and again, the most disheartening thing for somebody in the hobby is to deal with pests, and they're hard to deal with. And I would think, I think one of the most important things is to have a really trusted source and where you get your stuff from. And an example of that, I it happened to me in the, in the past where I've had uh, red bugs as an example. You think your corals are looking great and everything, and I'm not necessarily going to kill them, but it's just kind of irritating, right? There's stuff crawling on them. You don't really realize it, but when you see it, you go, oh my God, it's, just, it's everywhere. What do I do? So that's the thing is it's really key because a lot of times you'll, you'll show up at a trade show and everyone's set up and set up their, you know, their booths, and there's things that you can't see unless you get into that 15 to 20 time magnification to actually see what's going on, and you'll see them crawling in and out of the polyps and things like that. So I think it's, you know, if there is a trick, you just have to be very diligent about, A, where you get your corals from, making sure that you do your coral dips and stuff before you introduce them to your system and because then you're just bringing in a problem that doesn't need to be there and that's why I'm so paranoid right now because everything is so good that if I just go and buy a coral from somebody and I don't go through that process or know where I'm getting it from that's a that's a you're just playing with fire well, there's the best recommendations, fresh or salt water. Exactly. You always want to do the quarantine process. Never skip it because you're lazy. Always have stuff uh, stuff prepared. You have that nursery in the back that's again. Yeah, and that's a hard part. I mean, with the tank that big going through. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but going through no, that kind of going through the the amount of dipping and stuff that you would have to do. And and there's other things too that we we do. I mean, having a litany of wrasses you know look at the blue damsels that are in there they they're the springer eye damsels are very good they live within the acropora in indonesia seems like logical that's what i should have in here just in case something slept through the goal just uh just to have them there to to kind of be a natural way of I mean, you got in mind there's no one treating the ocean for a red bug i mean yeah. there's something that's eating them right i mean that's what you know so you try to do things as natural as you can and um and again back to having such a big system is really really dumb i mean at the end of the day and I think that if you could, if I were to do this again and I wanted to go really big, I'd, it would probably be in that, I mean, if, again, dream tank for me, not looking as big, is probably be in that three to 500 gallon range, maybe a little bit bigger. Because now you're into where it's much easier to manage. And just the sheer cost of operating a system of that size, it's just, you know, that's what I said, if I can actually someday, if I'm lucky, get my money back, <laughs> keep things alive. But How long do you quarantine your corals for? In- interesting that things that have eggs, when you dip them, there's a reason that egg protects what's in the egg. A period of eight weeks is really the recommended time. A lot of times you can do it in three weeks because you wait for the hatch. The hatch, you hit them again. Then you hit them again in case you miss something, and it's quite a process. Definitely different uh, for fresh. I mean, minimum is like two weeks for fresh. Yeah. There's a, definitely a different growth cycle well, for coral. It is, and and I and, and, the, and again, the hobby is advancing so much that it's allowing more and more people to enter reef, reef aquarium kind of land because of just the technology, uh, the ability to treat an aquarium as a whole for a bug. That's getting better. Uh, a lot of people are paranoid about putting stuff in there. One of the biggest things that has been used in the past is Interceptor, which is actually for pets to to rid them of worms so you need a veterinarian to get it from and you crush the tablets up and to make it to a powder and you treat the tank and then you wait a week you do a big water change you do it again and that you know but when you do that you do kill off the copiapod and ampiapod populations at the same time and so you gotta be careful not to crash your systems and things like that every the tank is an ecosystem you try to do your best to try to make the environment capable of self-sustain but there's no such thing you have no. to do the do the process even my uh, freshwater tank i have a, diff- a bunch of different plants 
I have everything's based around keeping the ecosystem. So, you know, a couple corridors just to make sure it's mopping up the bottom. Shrimp everywhere to make sure everything's uh, clean and polished. Just in case there's some rogue algae, I have, you know, SAEs, which leave everything alone. And all of these have to be symbiotic. But even still, I can add one fish. And like you said, have a worm parasite that transfers from creature to creature or, you know, something terrible that wipes out shrimp. It's uh, super easy. And when you have it established and set up, there's so much to risk. It is, and 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 Ty, his big his biggest concern. You introduce something like that, and there's certain fish that species of fish that really are prone to carrying stuff. That again is back to quarantine. And if you would have saw that uh, maintenance room uh, a year ago, we had we had quarantine tanks for fish. Then uh, now Ty is able to do a lot of that for me in his shop where quarantine takes place for fish. But we try to be pretty you know, pretty particular and protective of that stuff when putting it in the system. And that's where the UV light comes into to, you know, if you do have an ick kind of thing or something like that, you can get... Especially with, uh, you know, 4,000 gallons an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'll nibble right in the bud. Yeah. Well, you guys got any more questions for him? Oh, the LED lighting system. So that is one of the top-notch LED lighting systems I've ever seen. And you said it's the third one, Ty, or... Third series, yeah. Okay. Third series, but version four for some reason. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Could you explain that? Because people that don't have salt water or even reef tanks have no idea about how much lighting it needs for the corals. Like I was discussing with you about how if you wanted to put melahalides or T5s on that, the heat and the electric bill would just be, you know. Right. And, and so as the hobby has progressed, I mean, I you know, you've had metal halides and then you move into T5s and you have a combination of T5s and metal halides. And I was just thinking about the absolute nightmare I would have, not only from a kilowatt perspective, but just the sheer fact of heating up the water then means we have to have chillers. And so got, you know, the, the more you peel that onion back, you start crying and I'm like, okay, we have no choice. We got to go LED, but LEDs, the advancement in LEDs are there. And if, if you've seen aquarium with LEDs, sometimes you can actually see if it doesn't have the right spread, you actually see the beams of light coming into the tank and it becomes a very unnatural, especially if you think about an Acropora branching Acropora, how many shaded spots if there's just a single beam? And so the idea was is to have this spread across the aquarium to create the sky. And that's why from corner to corner to wall to wall, I mean, most of that light that's being ran is just the blue. Mm-hmm. And that's really all they need. And if we ran only blue, then you're kind of missing out a little bit on the colors of the fish because you need a little bit to pick them up. And it's kind of all what the eye sees. You know, the LEDs, there's a lot of manufacturers of LEDs. I, would, I wouldn't put lights at the top of the list of the most important things that you do, certainly up there. I think flow is probably the most important, but the, the lights is really key. Um, and again, having one that's really got a nice even spread. Um, the challenge we had with the, with the Orphic lights is what I use. It's just the, the fact that it's a German company and I have to go through email with a German translator to kind of get... I've even talked to stores in Berlin that use them. And again, it's all Google Translator communicating back and forth and what kind of programs are running. And because it wouldn't take much to fry a coral either. I mean, you can burn them, burn them up pretty good if you let it run too long or whatever. And so pretty particular, but again, the advancement in the hobby allows others to share the programs that they have and what they use. And so everyone's not starting from ground zero again. And everything that I've learned is either some, some reason I've made the mistake or it's from someone else. So I don't sit here and talk about how I know everything about reef. I mean, I've literally had my ass kicked over the years with this hobby. So again, I'm not on here acting like I just know everything, but again, it's it shared experience. It is absolutely. And that's, what's cool about what you guys do because people learn a lot from these, these podcasts and it's just a, again, sharing the hobby. And this was, this really available 15 years ago i mean won't be you know you two everything has advanced to a point where that knowledge base is getting out to the public a lot more than it ever did i'm telling you there's gonna be a lot more people using freaking laser beams <laughs> <laughs> happening yeah. 
But well, again, thanks uh, so much for having us out. We really appreciate the, the the full tour. We'll get the content. It'll be in the show notes for the podcast. You can uh, check out the pictures of the tank, and uh, I hope to you know have you on again in the future. And we're certainly going to have uh, Ty on. Got to talk about building uh, you know strange custom uh, custom tanks and you know you know essentially business grade tanks. That's what you do a a lot about. So we're excited to have that in the future. But uh, and thanks, I'm going to say again so too much. for you guys, I appreciate what you guys do. You make it fun for everybody. And people learn a lot through the process. And I think that's that's key. It's it's giving back, I guess, of all the knowledge that you had and making it fun for people to hear and listen to. And I had a good time. I appreciate it. Well, thanks yeah. so much. Thank that, you for being on. And if you're listening and you want some of these uh, sweet frags, you can message us. But it was uh, Top Shelf, you said? Uh, top Shelf Aquatics. The stuff will be in there under the code MCR, which is Minnesota Coral Reef. Um, Excellent. That is my Instagram. I don't post a lot there, but you can see pictures of a lot of the corals on, on Instagram and on Minnesota Coral Reef. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. Go to uh, aquariumguyspodcast.com. Go to the bottom of the website. You'll find our email address, telephone number. You can message us on Discord. If you got any follow-up questions, we can uh, certainly message uh, Sean directly after the show. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys, and let's kick that outro. Thanks, guys, for listening to this podcast. Please visit us at AquariumGuysPodcast.com and listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. We're practically everywhere. We're on Google. I mean, just go to your favorite place, Pocket Casts. Subscribe to make sure it gets push notifications directly to your phone. Otherwise, Jim will be crying in his sleep. Can, can I listen to it in the in my treehouse? In your treehouse, in your fish room, even alone at work. What about at my man cave? Especially your man cave. Yeah. Only if Adam's there. No. With feeder guppies. No. no. They're endless. You midget loving sucking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll see you next time. <laughs> Later.